are powering our modern world and have changed nearly everything about how we live, how we connect socially, how we shop online, and how we run our businesses. Because apps are the connectors between users and organizations, they collect data valuable to attackers, and that makes them the number one target. I'm Sarah Boddy, director of F5 Labs. And I'm Ray Pompon, principal threat researcher at F5 Labs. And I'm Sander Vimberg, threat researcher at F5 Labs. F5 Labs continually studies how applications are being targeted and breached. Welcome to the next set of podcasts in our application protection research series, where we cover what we have learned in the past year. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining us again in our Application Protection Report podcast series. So in this episode, we are going to be focusing on injection vulnerabilities and injection attacks and how that relates to breaches. A um, little bit of context setting here, Ray, and I'd love you to jump in here. Uh, injection vulnerabilities have been the number one vulnerability type security engineers have focused on for two decades. Yes. Um, why are we still talking about injection? Let's unpack that a little bit. So one of the things that I like to tell people is, you know, you look at the, the OWASP number one, it's injection, and people see injection and they think SQL injection. And yes, that's a problem, but think beyond SQL injection. We're talking about command injection, code injection, because those things are all happening. And they're starting to happen more and more now. And, you know, it gives the attacker the ability to essentially, you know, run commands and code directly on your systems as you. So they're very powerful attacks, and they're very common. It's very easy to, to mix it in with parameters that are being passed into a web application. So, you know, we're seeing an evolution. We're seeing um, the continuation of, like, hey, you know, these old techniques, but now we've got new ways to actually make use of them. And um, one, of the, one of the things that we found is, um, well, so 12% of the, the known breaches that we looked at in our data set for 2018 came from injection attacks. And that's 70%, 71% actually of web breaches were coming from injection. And this is the, the what's called form jacking mage cart. was something that was prominent last year. And, and we actually predicted that you're gonna see more of this because this is gonna be a long tail. Not only we're we seeing more, we're seeing an evolution. We're seeing better use of injection. So we're use. seeing the same old basic attacks, but we're also seeing an evolution of injection attacks to be a little bit more sophisticated and targeted. Yes, yes. Well, you know, we've kind of closed the holes, the, the obvious holes, so now they're kind of moving sideways. And, and some of this is with the complexity of applications itself. Um, I, I, Sander, why don't you talk a little bit about the history of, of this? Uh, yeah, so I think... A, a big part of what has made injection stay relevant, even as the security industry has been tracking it and, and working on these vulnerabilities for such a long time, is the way that infrastructure and architectural trends and web applications are evolving. And, and there's this general trend towards sort of decentralization and, and disintegration. Uh, another way you could look at it is that in, instead of sort of combining all the complexity in an application in a single big block of code, they're sort of breaking it up into multiple functions and services and combining it through architecture and infrastructure as opposed to having like one really big app. And this is good for many reasons. It's good for business, it's good for devs, but it also moves the complexity in a different way, makes visibility a little bit more difficult, and it also makes injection attacks a little bit harder to track, a little bit harder to mitigate, harder to detect. Uh, and I think that's a big part of what we're seeing here. And, and um, specifically with regard to injection, you can look at the mage cart attacks as sort of like the, the front runner in this trend of 
compromising specific microservices in a web application, and sometimes they're not even hosted as part of the main app. Sometimes they're, it's actually a third-party function that's only being called at runtime. Right, right. So you know, before we saw, hey, we're going to go after the actual um, the mage carts, the Magento software itself. That shopping cart had a vulnerability in it. We're going with that lets us inject uh, essentially a, a code sniffer. A, a it's, it sniffs out your credit card number as you enter it. Pretty obvious. Jam that in. Grab people's credit cards. In some cases, they don't even notice that the code on the website's changed because they're actually running. The bad guys have, have done their injections such that it's calling code offsite. We've started to kind of figure that out and patch these systems, patch that code, or at least lock down the website so that you can't make changes on it. So as as Santa was saying now, but websites are becoming more dispersed. They're more disintegrated. They're, they're swarms of services coming together. And when people uh, go to a, a site, you know, they see a single experience. They see a website. They see, you know, all the graphics. And maybe there's a little chat bot like, hey, how may I help you? And there may be, you know, cool flipping, you know, dancing bunnies on the site. There may be um, some of the user analytics stuff that's tracking you for, for their own reasons. All that stuff, for you, that's all part of the app. That's part of your browser experience. But all those things are disintegrated. They're actually running in different places. And they're being pulled together at the last minute as you come to that website. From a technical point of view, essentially there's a bunch of links on that site that point off-site to run there. And, and we're seeing more and more of that. So, every, you know, your average site has is, is, is got dozens, hundreds, sometimes even thousands of these things running that are not actually running on the main site. Yeah, it's that east-to-west sprawl that's not even your network anymore. Right, right. And so um, bad guys are like, well, can we inject and, and attack those things and then move sideways and sniff your credit card as you enter it? And, and that's what we're seeing. And so for the defender, this gets a lot harder because... You know, you've got all these things. They're not even running on your site. Um, right. To the user, they are. Yeah. But, you know, you've just got a hot link, so you don't see the attack. It, it doesn't touch your WAF. It doesn't touch your intrusion detection. You're getting into the software supply chain. Right. Right. One, one of the incidents, actually, it, it's it's not in, in the scope for this report. It was the previous year in 2017, but there was a breach of the uh, 24-7 customer support app that really mm. illustrated why this is such a big problem. Because it was it was exactly like you said it was I, I believe it's a um, like a, a customer support chat mm-hmm. bot thing that that runs in web applications, uh, and it was targeted in a software supply chain attack. And and what was really remarkable about it from the attacker perspective is it allowed them to compromise data from let's see here Delta Airlines, Sears, Kmart, and Best Buy all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's not only more difficult for defenders. It's extremely efficient for attackers because they know that every customer of their target is going to be included in the breach, right? And so, so by which customer I mean enterprise customers, right? So, so these organizations, um, Best Buy and Delta and Sears, they weren't actually targeted by the original attack. Twenty four seven was, but customer data that belonged to Delta and all these other companies—that's what got exfiltrated right and so it it not only does it make it hard to defend against it is hugely efficient for attackers and that's kind of the other side of this of how this trend has really made injection such a risky proposition well we talk about supply chain so why i grew up in the security world of the financial industry which is very tough from a compliance point of view we had lots of rules we had lots of change control everything that we did on our website was highly controlled 
But, you know, is are these little widgets, these the 24-7 and all these other tools, are they going through, are they PCI DSS certified? They may not even think that they need to be because, you know, well, we're not touching credit card data. We're just chat. We're just serving up ads. Right. We're just doing user analytics. We don't need that kind of security. But guess what? When you place it next door to it, this is kind of like the old bank robber trick where they don't break into the bank, they break into the little store next door, the empty thing, and then they tunnel underneath, mm-hmm. right. dig through the wall. Mm-hmm. That's what we're seeing. And it's highly effective. Yeah, that's a really good analogy. That's a good way to put it. So old attacks uh, becoming new and sophisticated through new ways of working and new lines of business and new way to implement technology. Yes, yes. And, um, you know, one of the things that we were doing was we were starting to pull together lots of different data. So we were actually looking at a lot of the exploits out there as well. Mm. So um, we looked at and exploits are, are a good indicator of, of likelihood of a vulnerability attack. I think we've just had some new research from Scientia and Veracode that's sort of verifying that, that we see that the, one of the, the leading indicators of attack um, is, you know, we have a vulnerability, but is there a published exploit for it? So that's one thing we've always looked at, published exploits. And um, I think 5.4% of the exploits published last year were about remote code execution. And then another 4% were about arbitrary file inclusion. And another 1.1% were about remote command in execution. All these things start tallying up to doing more and more injection kinds of attacks. And again, like I said, they don't have to go after the main app anymore that may be locked down. They can go sideways. Um, So let's talk about the future of injection attacks and decentralized web content and, and kind of where our minds are at now. Um, given we've been looking at this for... Well, and this is one I, I, I really want to look at about this, this abstraction concept, because I think we're just continually to, to layer on legacy and, and, and more and more stuff. Yeah, I, I, I think as we get all these, these added layers, it, it goes back to something that you said a, a few minutes ago about who's under compliance and like whether somebody who makes a little chatbot is is actually under PCI DSS and kind of will the will we see the legal ramifications of a business model kind of cascade upstream as this type of architecture becomes more mature and more accepted i, I it's an open question i think it would be a positive development for the security industry another way you could look at it is is whether um we're going to start thinking about security in the form of like an SLA, right? So if you if you contract with a vendor for some kind of software, whether it's hosted or or it's being included at runtime like this, um, we we frequently make provisions in contracts about SLAs. It's like I want this kind of uptime. I want three nines, four nines. Um, what we don't necessarily talk about are kind of cascading compliance regimes or whether whether being like whether organizations that are targeted as part of a software supply and attack attack are actually liable for the the restitution to the end customer to the people whose payment cards are being breached and so the the industry hasn't really caught up with this in terms of the legal framework and the administrative framework and so i'm i'm going to be really interested over the next 3 to 4 years to see what happens? Because if you if you look if we back up and we look at other 
architectural trends that have sort of shifted how business runs on the web, like the the most obvious one to me being cloud computing, it took a long time, and, and I, I think this is still sort of, this process is still unfolding, but it took a long time for the industry to sort of really figure out all the ramifications of these changes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're looking at here. And, and attackers have the luxury of only having to figure out one ramification, which is how am I going to attack? And now it is on the rest of the industry to say, okay, like, how does this really play out in a liability context? How does this play out in a, a business model context? And and so I, I think there's a lot of question marks and, and the there's no sign that this decentralization trend is going to slow down. Yeah. In fact, what we're seeing, especially with some of the breaches in, in recent weeks, which are obviously in 2019, um, there, it seems like a lot of these things are just accelerating. And so whether the the security industry and the and sort of the internet as a whole rises to to sort of mature its its meta processes to meet these risks, or if it just continues to be the wild west, that's kinda that's an open question, I think. Yeah, I mean in general we live and relearn, right? But but you're right, that's a that's something that's top of mind from a CISO standpoint on a regular basis, yeah. right? Um what is your limitation on liability? How does it impact potentially your cyber insurance policy? And are you even considering that some of these potentially smaller contracts in your in your larger portfolio are actually even going to be a cause of, of a breach? Well, right? and, you, and when you said Wild West, that, that brings to mind the assumption of breach principle, which is one that's always in our minds as defenders is, I mean, you have to assume if you're going to put a, a shopping cart and take a credit card or even a login page that everything on that page can be used to come after you. Just mm-hmm. assume that they're dirty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do the same thing in, in mobile apps. There's like when you throw a mobile app down on a device, assume that the whole phone is dirty. Maybe even the user is dirty. Right. And so this is when you look at defense, you think about, all right, everything around me is dirty. How do I protect me? Model for your app. Right, exactly. Don't assume. Yep. Assume everything is going to be dirty. And so, you know, can I encrypt? Can I protect? Can I watch this singular piece of this site? And, of course, look at where you're sitting. Um, This is something that I've talked about in in third-party security and supply chain about, you know, just a link on a website. I I come from the financial industry, and 20 years ago we were having fights about – various organizations, financial organizations wanting to throw a link down on the website. It's just a marketing thing. We want to do this little, you know, cool animation or this little cool thing. And it's like, that can compromise the integrity of our entire web banking system because it's It's an ecosystem. Don't assume they can't touch each other. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and they're like, you know, be quiet, you security people, you're all paranoid. And now we're seeing, well, yeah, no, guess what? That's Mm -hmm. actually true. Mm Mm-hmm. And by the way, we hate to say we told you so. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody wants to be in a reactive scenario, right? Yeah. The the right thing to do would be to deal with this up front. And the contract side is a big piece of this. Yeah. Right? Um, You're outsourcing a lot of different components. You're putting widgets and plugins and all sorts of different things on your your app because you don't want to develop those things yourself. And there's a lot of... um, you know, business value and outsourcing a lot of these different components. But ultimately, at the end of the day, your security team needs to understand how they're communicating with each other and how that fits into the overall threat model for the app. Well, it's definitely turtles all the way down because you're throwing some widget on your site and that widget may be using some little library thing that's got some exploit. Mm -hmm. And by the time you've, you've found out, it's too late. You've been breached. Yep. You know, it's it's interesting because there are all these controls that you can put in place, and you can you can use a WAF and control this. And in certain cases, you can use multi-factor. And 
uh, actually, Ray, when, when we were working um, together in an ops context several years ago, you had some very lightweight and sophisticated change control detection things going on. And like a lot of that would, would work for a lot of these sorts of, of contexts, but it always just comes back to developing applications that aren't validating user input, right? Because that's essentially what right. we're talking about here. Right. And, and it's, it's um, which really, I don't want to just pound on devs, uh, but it, it really comes down to the speed at which people are being asked to get something out and take it to market versus did you actually go through and review your application? Are you validating all that input, right? And we see this over and over again. And so well, a this, lot of times they're inheriting somebody else's code too. They don't yeah, know and they're right. only working on the new piece that they had to develop. Yeah, absolutely. And and so to me, part of this, part of this is about like, okay, the, the world is changing and the security industry needs to catch up. But part of it is also like, let's just raise that bar again. Yeah. You know, let's go back to yeah. basics. Like why are we still allowing unvalidated user input so um it, the, as always there are there are sort of these costly big remediations you can do but there's also a lot of basics you can you can take mm -hmm. care of right during dev time and, and it'll cover a lot of that risk yeah 100 percent agree with that it, like yes get a waf in place and and yes configure it for you know your basic injection attacks but also getting detailed in your policy around well, I say, and think of the big picture. I mean, I, I kind of talked about this, the fact that like what you see as the app is a lot bigger than what it actually is. Mm -hmm. The user's browser experience is mm -hmm. what you should be looking at and testing and risk modeling, mm -hmm. not just like, oh, I've got this single piece of code that takes the credit card in because it's mm -hmm. all affected. It's an ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Right. One of the fun ways to address this is to do um, secure coding training for your developer base mm -hmm. and doing it in a, in a gamified way, like an internal hackathon where mm -hmm. you hack your app and you actually look at your own vulnerability results and you yeah. do a hackathon to remediate them. That was something that I like to do at my last organization that I... And I've seen some organizations have had some tremendous work where they're using threat intelligence to inform their mm -hmm. hackathons. Mm -hmm. So they're actually saying, okay, how are we being attacked? How is my industry being attacked? And then specifically handing that to the red teams and, and, the, and the capture the flag testing to say, okay do this on a regular basis you can have different themes like one mm -hmm. hackathon could be trying to find where are all the user inputs on your site right yeah. mm -hmm. another one could be testing all the widgets you have like right. you, you could do a lot of fun things around um wrapping your head around your actual your actual application threat landscape how to actually fix i say and this theme of the ecosystem and all the inputs is something that we're actually in a in a later podcast we're going to talk about when we get into api security because it's very similar you yep. have lots of stuff kind of jammed together for a single user experience. You don't realize that there's a lot of holes, a lot of places that, that bad guys can creep in that you're not thinking about. Yeah, Ray, that's a that's a great point and a great way to kind of close out this episode is, is just prioritizing injection vulnerabilities and exploits within your overall security program. And, and like we've been talking about, there's multiple ways to, to tackle that. It's secure coding is really important. You know, that actually is foundational, right? Um, but things slip through your coding process. So you need your web application firewall tuned adequately to deal with injection attacks. Um, and then really looking at your software supply chain, right? Where are these other potentials for injection vulnerabilities? Where are these east to west risks that you're not necessarily thinking about now? Um, and if you think that you have it covered from a technical standpoint, make sure that you have it covered from an administrative standpoint within your um, terms and conditions in your contracts. That's really important. Sandra, you brought up, you know, liability. What is your limitation of liability in your contracts? That's something really important to, to consider. Um, so just in closing, prioritize injection attacks and vulnerabilities within your security program as a whole. Um, this is a conversation we've been having for 20 years and it's going to continue. 
So thank you for joining us. Um, in the next podcast, we are going to be covering access attacks um, followed by API attacks. So please stay tuned. Thank you. Thank you.